Good morning. Uh, it's good to say good morning and have it actually be morning. Uh, I said I referenced the being here this morning uh, on Christmas Eve at 6 p.m. Uh, and so uh, I caught myself. I corrected it, but this time it's actually morning. So good morning. Um, I'm glad that every single one of you are here with us this morning. The the Sunday after Christmas is always kind of the lowest attendance. People are traveling. People are going. So we made the hard decision to only have one service this morning. But we're Glad that you guys made it to our one service uh, this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. Uh, the first few verses of Isaiah chapter 9, is a, it's, it's a passage that we use all the time at Christmas. And so uh, now that Christmas is over, I decided we should have our first Christmas sermon of the year. And Isaiah chapter 9 is where we're going to be, uh, beginning in verse 1. Isaiah chapter 9, beginning in verse 1, it says this, But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy, they rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, and they are glad when they divide the spoil, for the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in the battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let me pray for us and we'll get into the text. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for sending your son Jesus Christ to earth as a little child, um, which we celebrate on Christmas. We thank you that, uh, that Jesus came, he lived, he died, he rose again, and he did all of that for our salvation. He did all of that to make a way for us to have a relationship with you, made a way for us to experience eternal life and to enter into your kingdom, God. So we, we thank you for that. We praise you for that. We know we didn't deserve it, but we know that you chose to do that work anyways. Father, we pray this morning that you would shape our thoughts, you would shape our, our minds, our hearts, and our actions. God, give us ears that are open to hearing what it is that you're saying this morning. Give us a heart that is ready and willing to apply it to our lives. Father, we love you and praise you. It's the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. I don't know about you, but I cannot start a movie if I am not able to finish it. Like, I have to know how a movie ends. Right? I, can't, uh, I can't watch a movie halfway through and then stop. That's why I don't fall asleep in movies. Uh, I, I, I've never fallen asleep. I don't fall asleep in movies at all uh, because I have to know how a movie ends. Right? I can't just watch half of it. Some of you can watch half a movie and walk away, and it's amazing. I don't know how you do that, but I can't. Like I have to stay awake. I have to know how the movie ends. It doesn't even matter if it's good. Right? It could be awful. I could hate the movie, but I gotta st I've invested half of it already. I've got to stick with it and know how the story ends. I do the same thing with a book. I can't, I can't start a book and then not finish that book. Um, I, I fell on, I've fallen asleep in one movie in my entire life. 
uh, and that one movie was The Life of Pi, and, uh, but it was, it was at a time when I had the flu, so I was watching it uh, in my room on this little TV, and the flu had really gotten to me that day. I was physically uh, and emotionally drained. It's the same day that I cried during an ESPN 30 for 30, so I think that we can count that day out, right? It doesn't, doesn't count at all. Uh, so uh, if you're uh, listening online and you were involved in making The Life of Pi, this is not an indictment on your movie. Uh, this was just my experiences all that day. Uh, that's the only movie I've ever fallen asleep in. It just can't happen. I gotta know how it ends. Uh, because the reality is if you stop halfway through a movie or you stop halfway through a book, you're not getting the story that the filmmaker or the storyteller is trying to tell. Right? You don't get the whole story. If you stop halfway and you leave, You've gotten the foreshadowing, you've gotten the tension, you've gotten kind of an introduction to the resolution, but you don't know the story that the storyteller was trying to, to convey. Right? And so what you think the story was about, the story that you think you know, the story that you think you heard, was only half the story. You don't actually know the story that was intended to convey. And so some of you can just walk away from a movie and walk away from a book and be fine with it, and that's okay, but you didn't get the story. You didn't get the whole thing that the, the, the filmmaker or the author was trying to convey to you. And we do the same thing with Jesus. We do the same thing with Jesus, especially around Christmas time, where we, we celebrate the historical events of Jesus, right? We celebrate his birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection, and we should, because there's no greater event in human history than the death and resurrection of Jesus, because it's by his death and resurrection that we're saved. But we celebrate the historical events of Jesus, and we, we highlight those things, and we celebrate those things. We, we highlight them on Christmas. We highlight them at Easter. We highlight them throughout the year, and we celebrate those things, and we act like that's the end of the story. Think about it in this way. This is how it, how it plays out a lot. Maybe you're a Christian who thinks that your life should be easy, and should be free from pain, should be free from misery, should be free from sorrow, because Jesus died on the cross, and he rose again from the grave. So I shouldn't have to experience any of those things. This, this plays out in a, a, an even more uh, extreme example in the prosperity gospel, that because Jesus died and rose again, you should have all the money, all the health, and all the wealth that you could ever want in your life, right? All the happiness that, that you could ever want should be yours because Jesus died and rose again. He came to give you life and life abundant. And so, so look at the finished work of Jesus. Right? Look at what he did. And we take that half of the story and act as if the whole story. We completely ignore our reality of our situation that you don't get everything you want and there is pain and there is misery and there is sorrow. Or maybe it's the other side. We act like, uh, Jesus died and rose again, and he saved us spiritually. And we act like that's the end of the work. And so we say, great, the world we live in is bad. The world we live in is evil. The world we live in is awful. And so I just can't wait till God rescues me from it, right? He just, he just takes me away from it because it doesn't matter what happens here. It doesn't matter what we do here to this earth. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what happens physically because all of this stuff is bad, and we need to go away to our spiritual heaven, our spiritual reality, because Jesus came and died and rose again and saved us spiritually. And we live with this dualism that says everything physical is bad and everything spiritual is good. And we're trying to get away from the physical and trying to get to the spiritual. We're trying to have these emotional, spiritual experiences because they're naturally good and anything physical, anything worldly is all inherently bad. We have that dualism because we look at back 
to the historical events on the cross. We look back to the, the death and resurrection of Jesus and recognize that he saved us spiritually. And we think that's the end of the story. The well, thing is, here in Isaiah chapter 9, this passage that we pull out and we read at Christmas time and we say, to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and we celebrate it at Christmas time. In reality, uh, this prophecy is not fully fulfilled yet. We are living in the middle of it. Right? It wasn't completely fulfilled when Jesus came. It wasn't completely filled when Jesus lived. It wasn't completely filled when he died and rose again. You and I are living in between the lines of the prophecy where some of it's been fulfilled and some of it hasn't. And this is what we're going to see in Isaiah chapter 9 this morning. This is what I hope you see. is that you and I need to celebrate the birth of Jesus. And we need to celebrate the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. We need to celebrate the birth of Jesus. But we also need to anticipate his return. We need to celebrate the historical part of Jesus. But we also need to anticipate and be ready for his return. What I'm going to do this morning is a little different than what we normally do. And what I want to do is I want to walk through this prophecy and point out the fact that we are living in the middle of it, right? So this prophecy was originally written to the ancient Israelites, a group of people who were living long before Jesus was ever around. This was written about 400 years before the birth of Christ. And so this was written to a people that, that were not, uh, none of the prophecy had been fulfilled at the time of the writing. But we are living in the middle of it. Some of it has been fulfilled, and some of it hasn't. Uh, and so what I want to do is I want to walk us through this prophecy, and I want to point out the things that we need to celebrate, the things that have been fulfilled that we need to celebrate. But I also want to point out the things we need to anticipate, things that have not been fulfilled, and things that we need to look forward to and should shape our thinking, because we need both. We can't be content with half the story. We can't allow half the story to shape our thinking and our life. So the first thing we're going to see this morning in Isaiah chapter 9 is something to celebrate. We need to celebrate a taste of the kingdom of God. Celebrate a taste of the kingdom of God. So Isaiah chapter 9, again, as I said, is a text that we pull out around Christmas time. We love it, right? It's a great, uh, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. It's very cheerful, hope-filled, great passage. But it's actually one small part of a prophecy of a greater prophecy that the prophet Isaiah was proclaiming to the Israelites over several chapters in the book of Isaiah. And in Isaiah chapter 8, immediately before this prophecy, what Isaiah proclaims to the Israelites is that the Assyrian army is going to come and wipe out the northern part of Israel. Like he, he's telling the Israelites that the, the empire of the day, the ruthless Assyrian army is going to swoop down and completely annihilate the northern tribes of Israel. They're going to come down and completely destroy the northern areas of Zebulun and Naphtali, these, these northern tribes, these northern areas of Israel. These ruthless Assyrians are going to come in and they're going to wipe them out because of Israel's rebellion and disobedience to God. And so this, uh, the, the Isaiah, when he's prophesying this, he uses terms like the Assyrian army is going to introduce gloom and despair and darkness and anguish. Merry Christmas. Like it's, that, that, those are the verses, those are the, literally, I, the last verse of Isaiah chapter 8, verse 22, it says, and they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust 
into thick darkness. That's the northern tribes of Israel. That's, that's the people of God in the northern half. When the Assyrians come in, they'll swoop in and destroy the northern tribes of Israel. That happened in 722 B.C. Uh, let me get that date right. Yeah, it happened in 722 B.C. that the northern tribes were wiped out by the Assyrian army. They came in, the Assyrians came in and just destroyed the place, left the land desolate. There was gloom and anguish, and, and they, the northern tribes never recovered. And they were held in bondage under oppression from Assyria to Babylon to Rome. Like, they never recovered. They were thrust into gloom and despair and darkness. And that's the background of this passage in Isaiah chapter 9. He goes immediately into it and says in verse 1, But there will be no gloom... For her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Now, this one is actually a pretty easy. Uh, prophecy to place where it was fulfilled, because Matthew actually quotes this verse in Matthew chapter 4, saying it's been fulfilled. In Matthew chapter 4, Matthew is talking about the ministry of Jesus, how Jesus was born, and he lived, and he ministered. He, he did his ministry mainly in the area of Galilee, in the lands of Zebulun and Naphtali. Most of the area where Jesus ministered and worked was the land that's being talked about here, a land that used to be in darkness and gloom and anguish, and they're the people that got to experience the ministry of Jesus firsthand. And we see a little bit of what his kingdom was like in his ministry. We see a little bit of what, what he's like and what it's like to be part of the kingdom of God and the way that he, he interacted uh, with the people of Galilee, right? What did he do when he was in Galilee? He healed the sick. He cast out demons. He forgave sinners. We get a little taste of the kingdom of God in the ministry of Jesus. Because where there was gloom, where there was despair, where there was anxiety and, and, and anguish, where there was oppression, Jesus came in and freed them, gave them life. Where there was sickness, Jesus came in and healed. Where there was spiritual oppression, Jesus came in and did away with demonic possession. Jesus came in and gave us a little taste of what the kingdom of God is going to be like. The lands of Naphtali and Zebulun, who had been through so much, got to experience firsthand the kingdom of God through Jesus. Now, we may not be in gloom and anguish in the same way that Zebulun and Naphtali have, but we experience that here in our country. We experience that here in our homes. Like we understand, we know the, the pain of life. We understand the the gloom and anguish that, that comes with just daily existence. We understand oppression. We understand abuse. We understand uh, heartbreak. We understand all of these, these negative uh, ideas and negative emotions and the negative parts of life. We get the gloom and the anguish and the, and the despair that come with just being human and being alive and experience the brokenness of this world what we see in Jesus and what we can celebrate in Jesus is a little taste of what the kingdom of God is going to be like. 
And Jesus' ministry there in Galilee, Jesus' ministry in Zebulun and Naphtali is like the appetizer that is just showing you what the chef can do. Like it's just getting you ready for the meal. We can celebrate the fact that we know the kingdom of God is going to be free from all sickness. No pandemic. We know that the kingdom of God is going to be free from all oppression and racism. We know the kingdom of God is going to be free from all brokenness. There will be no broken political systems. There will be no broken people. There will be no broken families, no broken homes. There will be nothing tragic and sad and broken in the kingdom of God because where oppression and brokenness and illness and death once existed, there will be life and joy and peace. We can celebrate that in Jesus there's a taste of the kingdom of God. There is no gloom for her who was in anguish in the former time. He brought them into contempt, but in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea. The people, verse 2, who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness on them has light shone. We get a taste of the kingdom of God, and we celebrate that. But here's the next thing we need to anticipate. We need to anticipate physical rescue. Because we recognize that the fullness of the kingdom of God is not here. Like that, that day where there will be no more crying, where there will be no more pain, where there will be no more illness, where there will be no more death, like that day is not here. There is brokenness in the world, and we anticipate the day that there will be physical rescue. Look with me in verse 3. Talking about God, you have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling, uh, tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. That's very physical imagery. What, what that passage is talking about, what Isaiah is prophesying, is that there will be a day when the people of God experience victory. There will be a day when the people of God experience complete and full joy, where the people of God will experience a complete end of oppression and experience a complete end to the brokenness of this world, but we recognize that that day is not yet today. We recognize that the world is, is still broken. I mean, nobody would, have, would recognize the fact that this isn't, uh, this isn't fulfilled more than the people of Zebulun and Naphtali. Right, because they had experienced uh, political oppression since the time of the Assyrians. Right? We went from Assyria to Babylon uh, to a couple other countries and then to Rome. And they were still in bondage to Rome when Jesus came. He lived, he died, and he rose again. Like the whole life of Jesus was lived underneath Roman rule, and he never fixed that. He never broke off the, the yoke of oppression for Israel. He never broke off the yoke of oppression for God's people. They were still underneath Roman rule. He never completely fill, fulfilled that prophecy. That's what caused the Jews to, to, to not regard Jesus so highly. Because they were expecting a Messiah who was going to come and get rid of Rome. 
They were expecting a Messiah who's going to come and give them political freedom. They were expecting a Messiah who's going to come and give them a, a, a country with borders that would be their nation. But Jesus didn't do that. And it's not that Jesus isn't concerned with physical rescue. It's not that Jesus isn't concerned with, with breaking off chains and, and, and breaking yokes of oppression. It's not that Jesus isn't concerned with any of that. It's that he hasn't done it yet. But there will be a day when Christ returns. And that will be the day that this verse is fulfilled. Where he will break the yoke of oppression. Where he will get rid of all of the brokenness, the political oppression, all of the things that are facing our world today. He will do away with all of those things. And we anticipate that day. So on the one hand, we can mourn the fact that, that the brokenness and the, the hurt in this life are not part of God's design. And so when we experience loss, when we experience pain, when we experience death, when we experience these things, we can mourn because we know that that's not, God, not, that is not God's design for us. That, that it is heartbreaking, that it is, it is sad, it is tragic because it is not God's design for the world. And so when we experience these things, they should break our hearts. That's why we can mourn with those who mourn and weep with those who weep. Because it is tragic and it is sad and we, we live in a present reality that still experiences all of this brokenness and all of this pain and all of this sinfulness, this oppression. We can, we can weep for those things, but we can also look forward to the day when Christ will do away with all of it. We look forward with anticipation to the day when there will be no more brokenness where there will be no more sin, where there will be no more oppression and harm and illness and death. Because he will come. And he will, the yoke of his burden, the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, he will break is on the day of Midian. That day of Midian is a reference back to the book of Judges, where Gideon, one of the judges, led 300 men to completely annihilate the Midianite army. This army that had come against Israel uh, Gideon, with just 300 soldier, soldiers, came and completely destroyed the Midianite army. And that's the, that's the imagery here, a complete victory. He, he, he goes on in verse 5, Every boot of the tra tramping warrior in battle to molt, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. That, that's the imagery of the soldiers taking off the garments that they wore in battle, which are stained with the blood of war, and they throw them into the fire because the war is over. They have won, and there is no more fighting. There's no more use for this blood-soaked garment. That's the idea here, this complete victory. And when Jesus comes back, he will make a complete end. There will be a complete victory over the brokenness and the oppression and the sin and the wickedness and the illness and the death in this world. All of it will be done away, and we are excited about that. We anticipate that. But at the same time, we can celebrate spiritual rescue. While we anticipate physical rescue, we can celebrate physical rescue. Look again with me in verse 3. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. There's joy in the land of Naphtali and Zebulun. There is joy in the people of God. Jesus said multiple times throughout his ministry, especially uh, there near the end of his ministry in John, uh, when he's talking to his disciples as he's about to die, he says, I'm saying all of these things that your joy may be complete. 
Jesus came, and by the gospel message, the good news of eternal life that's found in Jesus, he came to give us joy, complete and lasting joy that is deep within our souls that nothing on this earth can take away. So the fulfillment of our life, the fulfillment of this joy prophecy, the fulfillment comes by the death and resurrection of Jesus. It's by his death and resurrection of Jesus that we can have life, and it's in that life that we have joy. So we celebrate the fact that there is spiritual rescue. So the first time Jesus came, he didn't come for nothing. He didn't just come as a tourist to kind of see the world and see what it's like down here, you know, getting ready for battle plans for the day that he's going to arrive again. When Jesus came, he lived a perfect life, and he died on a cross for you and me. So by his death, all of our sins can be forgiven. By his death, all of our transgressions, all of the times that we've rebelled against God, his blood would cover over those, and he would forgive us. And then he rose again from the grave. And in his resurrection, there's life for us. And so while we are waiting for the physical rescue, while we are, we are waiting and mourning, and our hearts are breaking for the world out there but, uh, and the lives that we have, and while we are waiting and anticipating his physical rescue, we can celebrate the fact that there is spiritual rescue, that our souls can be made alive in Christ Jesus. And that there is hope that when we die, we're not gone. When we die, we're not gone forever, separated from God in hell. When we die, we are spiritually with God, waiting the day when we can return to our bodies in a world that is set free from sin and death. There is spiritual life in Jesus, and we want to celebrate that fact. He has come to give us joy. He has come to give us life. Celebrate spiritual rescue. The fourth thing we want to do is celebrate the birth of Jesus. Celebrate the birth of Jesus. Look at me in verse 6. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. We want to celebrate the birth of Jesus. We don't think about this enough. I don't, I, I don't think about this enough. You, maybe you think about this all the time. I don't know. Uh, but I don't think about this enough. It's the fact that Jesus didn't have to come. We were the ones who sinned. We were the ones who rebelled. We were the ones who deserved to spend forever separated from God in hell. Like We earned that by rebelling against our creator. We deserve that. Jesus didn't have to come, but he chose to. Think about what that means, that the Son of God, God himself, who lived outside of space and time, who was all-powerful, all-knowing, who had complete control of all things, who held creation together, that that God left his heavenly throne, and he humbled himself, to come down in the form of a child. That he added humanity to his deity, choosing to become fully human and fully God. So not only did he not have to come because we were the rebels, we were the broken people, we were the ones who rebelled against him and sinned against him and transgressed against him. That was us. We didn't deserve that he would come, but he gave up so much just to come as a child. What a beautiful moment that we celebrate at Christmas. 
that Emmanuel, God himself, chose to dwell with us. Let's celebrate the birth of Jesus. Let's celebrate the fact that he decided to come to earth to live a perfect life and to die on a cross for us. Let's, let's celebrate that fact because it's by his death and resurrection that we have that spiritual rescue in the first place. So celebrate the birth of Jesus. I, I, I am in no way saying not to celebrate Christmas because it's not the complete story. Like, let's celebrate Christmas. Let's rejoice every day of the year that Jesus was born, that he lived, that he died, that he rose again. Let's celebrate that. Let's share that gospel message. We need to tell everybody, because it's great news that Jesus came and lived and died and rose again. That's incredible news. Let's celebrate that, but let's not stop there. Let's celebrate that story as true, but let's recognize that the work of Jesus is not yet done. The fifth thing, and the final thing that I want us to notice, I want us to anticipate the eternal reign of Christ. I want us to anticipate Jesus' eternal reign. Look with me uh, at the rest of verse 6. Uh, I'll start at the beginning of verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Well, this is something that we know has not been fully completed yet. We, we know that the whole world is not in subjection to Jesus yet, but there's coming a day when it will be. There's coming a day when Jesus will have all rule, all reign, all authority over all things, and all things will be brought into subjection under him. There's coming a day when he will return. And Paul says that on that day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Like on the day that Jesus comes back, he, is, he will be recognized as God. He will be recognized as Lord. He will be recognized as King by everybody and everything, and all things will be brought into subjection under his rule. Think about a leader that you admire, someone that you, you think is a really good leader. Well, when they lead, they have a vision, that they have a direction that they're trying to go. And when they lead for long enough, when they lead well, they bring their company or their country or whatever it is, they bring them underneath that vision. And so everything gets into subjection to that and, and, and heads in that direction. I think of someone uh, who reigned for a really long time, like, like Caesar Augustus, whether you admire his po politics or not. Uh, he had a vision. He had a, an idea of where he wanted to take Rome. And he was able to see it through because he reigned for decades. And so in his long reign, he was able to completely transform the Roman Empire uh, because of his, uh, his lengthy rule. Well, Jesus has a vision. Jesus has a plan for his kingdom. Jesus has an idea of what his kingdom is going to look like. And it's not just like he's another political leader. It's not just like he's, he's, he has a, a better vision than other people. He's God himself, so he has a really good vision. Like, he's God himself. So his vision of his kingdom is one that is free from pain, free from sorrow, free from sin, free from brokenness. Like, that is God's vision. That is Jesus' vision of the kingdom over which he will reign 
for all of eternity. And when he comes, he will, he will bring everything in subjection to that vision. He will bring everything in subjection to his rule and his reign. And there will be no more brokenness. There will be no more pain. There will be no more sin. Jesus is coming. And this is the, the description of his rule. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. His reign will never end. When he returns, he will, he will subject all things to his, uh, his glorious plan. The world that was broken back in Genesis chapter 3 will finally be restored when Jesus comes back. Here's the thing. When you are living your life, are you living it as if Jesus is going to come back? Are you living it as if he's going to come back and bring everything in subjection to his plan and his kingdom? Because the truth of the matter is, he's going to come back and everything that is outside of those bounds, everything that is broken, everything that is sinful, everything that is rebellious is going to be done away with and he will bring everything in subjection to him. Everybody is going to recognize Jesus as Lord. They will all bow their knee. They will all praise him as God, whether they want to or not. So my question is, are you already living in light of that reality? We need to be people who recognize that we are saved by God's grace, that we are set free from sin and death by the death and resurrection of Jesus, but that we need to live in light of the fact that he is coming back. He's going to restore the world underneath his reign. And so we need to be people that are already extending the reign of the kingdom of God where we are. That's what it looks like to be ready for his return. To be ready for his return means that you and I are already living in subjection to Jesus. That you and I are already living as if we are residents of his eternal kingdom. That's why Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says, we're not living for some city here on earth. We are living for an eternal city, an eternal kingdom. We're living in subjection to Jesus above all else. Because when he comes back, I don't want to be on the outside of that. Like, I don't want there to be things in my life, things that I'm holding on to, things that I'm clinging to that he says do away with in order to be in subjection to me. When he comes back, I already want to be in subjection to Jesus. We need to be a church of people who are already living like Jesus is our king. So that when he returns, there's not a lot of change that needs to happen in our lives. And that means that as we interact with the world, we are extending the kingdom of God. We are already impacting the world like Jesus is here. So we're people, think about our work. That means we go about doing our work in a really good way, that we make beautiful things that are, that are great pieces of, of the world. That we, we, we go about creating and exerting influence on our life through our work. And it's good, beautiful things that are made for the glory of God. Or good, beautiful services and acts that are made and done for the glory of God. Like, our work is not inherently secular. Right? Where there's, there's the physical things and then there's the spiritual things. Again, that's a half incomplete view of what Jesus came to do. He's coming to redeem the physical world just as he's already come to save the spiritual. And so he's coming back. The physical things are not bad. 
make good, beautiful, righteous things that are done for the glory of God. Do your work according to the kingdom of God as if you're already part of his kingdom. And this extends to everything that we do in life. It extends all the way down to something minute like, like how you treat your pets. Like, Do you treat your pets like you're part of the kingdom of God, like you're ruling over them like Adam and Eve? Do you treat them how they would expect them to be treated? Or do you treat your animals as if it's something that's broken and, and sinful in a broken world? Like I, I bring up that example because it's so minute. There's everything in our life needs to be lived as if we are already part of the kingdom of God. Like we are extending in the influence and the reign of Jesus to everything that we touch. We need to be redeemed people that are redeeming the world. This extends into the way we talk to people. Like this is where evangelism comes in, where we want to, to show people that Jesus Christ is Lord. We want to share the gospel so that they too will enter into the kingdom of God. You see, this morning, I want us to be people who are, who are simultaneously celebrating the life that we have in Jesus and anticipating his return. We 